Amen. So our sermon series that we're in right now is called Jesus in His Own Words. Some of you may have a red letter Bible. And some of you may have looked at your Bible and thought, why are all these words in red? Well, let me just explain. The people that wrote the Bible tried to make it easy for you so that you would know what Jesus' words were. So his words are written in red in your red letter Bible. So we could look at any of those and and say, these are Jesus in his own words. But today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Please uh, open up your Bibles to John, chapter 14. And I will be reading it from your pew Bible, which would be on page 1,675, if you'd like to follow along in there. Before I read it, I want you to think about what it is like when you decide to take a long journey. Typically, today, we will just call up the place on our GPS. And our GPS will say, do you want directions? And you push the button, yes, give me directions, and you'll see different routes to take from here to there. So the GPS is a handy little way for us to begin our journey. And then it says, do you want directions on the way? And you could put yes. And it says, okay, start heading north and turn right at the next road. Have you ever considered, though, what it is like to journey in life? How do we find the directions to where we are to go? How do we get from here to there? If we allow our Bible to take the place of our GPS, Jesus promises the way, the way to an eternal destination with our Heavenly Father. And he knows the best route. It's written in here. When we abide in him, we may not know our defined route, our course for our journey, but we can rest in comfort, the comfort of faith that he will lead us exactly to where we need to go. And that's where we find the scripture today, chapter 14, verse 6. And it says this, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now keep your Bibles open because we need to take this into context also, right? Here's Jesus in the upper room on the night that he would be betrayed. The night that he would be betrayed and the next day put to death on the cross. He was preparing his disciples for the days ahead. After the Last Supper in the upper room, Jesus began to speak to his disciples about his departure, which led to a lot of questions Can you just imagine the questions in the minds of his disciples? 
they still did not understand how he was going to accomplish the great deliverance from this fallen world. They were too focused. They were too focused on the politics of the day, on the Roman Empire. I wonder sometimes, what is it that we are focusing on? What are we so focused on today? Are our hearts troubled because of our everyday life that we focus on so closely? Perhaps you just don't see how to get ahead in this world. With this mindset, we can look at the rest of John chapter 14, and I would recommend that you read through it later today. In verse 1, he talks about trust, to trust in Jesus. He says, basically, that trust is the antidote to your troubled heart. And then in verses 2 through 4, Jesus takes some time to talk about how he's going to go into heaven, into his father's house, and prepare a room for each one of them. And he said, if I go to prepare a room, surely I will come back to take you there. And then he said, for you know the way to the place that I'm going. And then in verse 5, luckily, for most of us, we've got this guy that we call Doubting Thomas. Thank you, Thomas, for asking the question. He said, Lord, we don't know the way to the place that you are going. How can we get there? And then we get the verse. Jesus, in his own words that I just read to you, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And then he goes on to talk to them a little bit more about the Trinity, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And the Counselor, the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes from the Father when I ask. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Wow, that's confusing. He's saying, I am God. I am everywhere all the time. I am with you, and you are with me. And then in verses 22 through 31, we get more of how, <clears throat> excuse me, how we who believe interact with God on our journey of life. And then thankfully, we get these words from Jesus that many of us memorize and use. And we thank God for them. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Thank you, Jesus, for these words in John chapter 14. And now let's get in deeper to verse 6. He starts out by saying, I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. It's one of the seven I am statements that Jesus uses. I am in the Greek 
has a very intense way of referring to oneself. It would be comparable to saying, I myself and only I am. Several other times in the Gospels, we find Jesus using these words, and the Jews that were listening were clearly understanding Jesus, that he was calling himself God. For God said to Moses, I am. God is the great I am. When the soldiers came to seek Jesus in the garden on that last night after the Last Supper, Jesus, in his own words, told the soldiers, I am he. His words were so powerful that the soldiers fell to the ground. We find this in John chapter 18, verses 4 to 6. These words reflect the very name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh, which means to be or the self-existing one, or he who makes that which has been made already. It is the name of the power and the authority of Jesus that he claimed to be his own. In his own words, Jesus was declaring himself to be the great I am, the only path to heaven, the only true measure of righteousness, and the only source of both physical and spiritual life. Jesus was taking his claim as the very God of creation, the Lord of blessed Abraham, and the Holy One who inhabits eternity. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says in his own words. And then he says, the way. Jesus used the definite article of himself as being the only way. You know, oh, a way is a path, a route. You can find it on Google Maps. The disciples had expressed their confusion about where Jesus was going and how they could follow his journey. And Jesus was again telling them, and he's telling each one of us here today, I am the way. There is no other route to heaven. There is no other way to the Father. The exclusive nature of the only route to salvation is expressed by Jesus in his own words, I am the way, the way, the way. It's mentioned several times in the book of Acts because it was the way that the disciples were first calling themselves. They were people of the way. They made the connection to the early followers of Christ. You know, Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus to take prisoners of men and women who were part of the way. And on his road to Damascus, Saul met Jesus, and Jesus slapped him off of his donkey. And Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And Saul believed in who Jesus was and became the great missionary of the early church. He had changed, or he had changed his use of his name to Paul, and he traveled around preaching the gospel where it would be heard, and people began to follow the way. A couple weeks ago, Max Felger on Wednesday evening class was teaching us about Paul as he stood before Felix. And Paul said to him at that time, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. That's in Acts 24, 14. We are also told that Felix knew about the way. It seems that the Romans considered the way to just be a sect of Judaism, and it was accepted in Rome. The Bible enlightens us that these people of the way were also called Christians, but that came later. The word Christian is used in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says this, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The community was probably teasing these people that were walking in the way of Christ. So they said, oh, you Christians. Why? Because of the message that they were sending. Today, we frequently call ourselves Christians. Back then, they earned the name to be called Christian. The church and disciples walked like Christ. They talked like Christ. They had integrity like Christ. They ministered like Christ. They were servant leaders like Christ. In short, they just lived Christ. The city around them named them Christians or little Christs. The Christians of that day were earthly definers of who Christ is. They defined Christ by their actions not just by their rhetoric, which so many people were used to listening to. Presumably, the early followers of Christ referred to themselves as followers of the way because of Jesus' statement right here in chapter 14, verse 6. When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Today, there are various Bibles that include in their title, The Way. You might have one of those. There is also a book by Jose Maria Escariva, found, who was the founder of the Catholic Opus Dei, an organization of lay people and priests who decided to live by holiness, by the way that Jesus presents to us. Now, I don't enjoy pointing out errors of various religious groups or especially spending time on my sermon on cults. But I do want to make sure that we are very careful that we don't get caught up in something like that. So because of that, I want you to know that much too often, the evil one. He likes to take a good thing from God and he likes to twist it up and confuse it 
and take captive of those souls that are unrepented. Using the way in your name does not make you an organization that's Christian. Here's an example. The Way International. It was founded in 1942 by Victor Paul Weirwill as a radio program that the name became The Way in 1955, no doubt a reference to Jesus' statement that he is the way and the truth and the life. In spite of its name, however, The Way International is not Christian. By all rational tests, it fits the definition of a cult. The Way International promotes two beliefs that are consistent with Christian cults. They take God's word out of context. The first one is they deny the Trinity, the hypostatic union, the deity of Jesus Christ, the one who spoke these words. And two, they believe in works righteousness. The idea that we can get to heaven by our own effort, by using God's work. The Way International spends a lot of time doing a lot of research, and they say, if you can just live according to these teachings, you can get to heaven. Not that you need faith in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for you because he was God in perfect form taking judgment for our sins. So these two things become heresies, and they're very dangerous heresies. They can make cults or false religions look very good on the outside. Just do your research, please. When Jesus, in his own words, said, I am the way, there was an absolute to his expression. We need to decide if, if we will be our own way or if we will be his way. Jesus is the way from sin and guilt. Jesus is the way toward restoration of all we are created to be. Jesus is the narrow way. It's not the way of the world. Jesus made this very clear when he stated in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, he said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. As I was preparing the message this week, I thought about that classic work by John Bunyan titled The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a story of a man named Christian. And by the way, this was written in the late 1600s. John Bunyan wrote this story about the man named Christian who determined that life in the city of destruction was not the best existence. With the help and guidance of evangelists, Christian headed out on a journey. Fraught with many perils, he was heading to the celestial city, and it describes the struggles of Christian's life. The way is a narrow road. I commend this book to you. 
or the movie that came out in 2019 to help you consider how to get a handle on the way, God's way, through this life to heaven. Now, it won't count on your reading because you need to have your reading slips in today. But the Pilgrim's Progress is in the church library here. Take the time to think through the way for yourself. You only have this one life to find the way. Do not lose your opportunity. Do not let the tyranny of the urgency of today to strip you of your freedom, your freedom to decide to go God's way through Jesus the Christ. We need to know the way. And I, I have decided irrevocably to take Jesus at his word and believe that he is the way. How about you? Then Jesus says, and the truth. Again, Jesus uses the definite article to emphasize himself as the only truth. You know, this scripture doesn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminded his listeners of several points of the law. Jesus said, but I say to you, Here's a couple examples. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. The law says, do not murder. But Jesus says, anyone who is angry with another will be subject to judgment. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. The law says, do not commit adultery. And Jesus says, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. Jesus equated himself with the law of God as the authoritative standard of righteousness. Jesus, as the incarnate word of God, is the source of all truth. We must seek to have a mind of Christ. Have you ever had a discussion with someone? Someone that thought truth could be derived from their own personal, creative thinking? Ugh. They rely on their own philosophy quest to bring ultimate truth, but they never get there. There's no end to the search for meaning within our own minds. You know, I don't mind participating in a dynamic discussion, a thoughtful intellectual an, a thoughtful intellectual existence. But eventually, eventually I, I must bring the other person around to the context of confronting Jesus and what Jesus said. He put it on the line when Jesus in, in his own words said, I am the truth. Here are three potential options that I see people considering truth is. Option one is coming up to some set of philosophical truths, independent of biblical revelation, truths upon which a person desires to build their life. Have you ever seen that person? 
There are many competing truth systems that want their allegiance. Each of them has something quite creative and helpful as long as that person does not choose one of these truths as the absolute truth. At that moment, when they choose an absolute truth, they fall prey to the error in that system. People in our old sin nature are vulnerable to falsehoods. We are susceptible to mythical philosophies. Some mythical philosophies look true and some are blatantly false. Some philosophies have that ambiguous mix of both some truthhood and some falsehood that lead us in the wrong direction. Option two are for the people considering what truth is is that of relativism. This is a temptation for so many people today. We live in a relativistic age. For many, truth is a matter of opinion. Morality is a matter of personal choice. We're told that we must learn to live with ambiguity. We're watching people, people that we love, self-destruct as they buy into this notion that truth is just a matter of opinion and morality is just a matter of personal choice. We see men and women leaving spouses and children listening to the worldly promise of a better life. They say, I have a right to be me, only to find themselves tossed about in the waves of relativism leading to a final horrible shipwreck. What is truth? The professor says. There's a long pause. Then he answers his own rhetorical question with this. Truth is truth for me. Isn't that statement subtly seductive? And then there's option three for people seeking what truth is. And that is, Jesus is the embodiment of truth. We must make a choice. Perhaps we have made some wrong assumptions of life based on our own notions about truth. Perhaps we are no longer prepared to trust our own philosophical musings when it comes to ultimate truth. We understand the relativity of some matters in the world, yet we choose not to be tossed to and fro whatever notion happens to be popular at the time. We have seen how that leads to a great, shipwreck. I have made my choice. I will trust Jesus as the truth, absolute truth for all of life. He is the one who tells me where I came from. He's the one that tells me why I am here, where I am going, and how I can travel on this journey of life with power and victory. In Jesus. Jesus gives us his word for living. It's called the Bible. 
to alert us to right and wrong, the best ways of handling different situations and relating to others and ourselves, and even how to relate to him. We want to know the truth. I have decided irrevocably to take Jesus at his word and believe he is the truth. How about you? Then Jesus says, the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus had just been telling his disciples about his impending death. And now he's claiming to be the source of all life? Earlier in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, Jesus declared that he was going to lay down his life. And then he would take it up again. He spoke of his authority over life and death as being granted to him by the Father. In John chapter 14, verse 19, he gave the promise that because I live, you also will live. The deliverance he was about to provide was not a political or a social deliverance, but a true deliverance from a life of bondage and sin and death to a life of freedom and eternity through him. We may think that we can beautifully structure our own lives. We, we may hedge our bets and be careful and calculate our life. Then some catastrophe hits, and more, or more subtly, things just start leaking out the side of our greatest plans. Our best plans for life cannot guarantee the health and the safety of our loved ones. No matter how hard we try to manage it. Have you seen this happen? Those of us who are the most organized, <laughs> often we end up more frustrated because we can't organize our entire life. We can only organize a part of it. Our best written scenarios don't turn out the way that we would like them to be. At the moment, we would least expect it. The ball takes an unexpected bounce and goes the other way. Our best plans are no guarantee to our own existence here. Jesus, in his own words, though, says, I am the life. He is the absolute embodiment of life. His life puts purpose behind the inexplicable. I cannot make any sense out of a tornado or a flood or a natural disaster taking the life of innocent children. I cannot make any sense out of a young mother killed in an automobile accident. I cannot make any sense out of malignant cancer cells stripping the life of people that I love. But Jesus, he sees an overall pattern. He did not create evil. He did not create disease. 
Jesus has a way of taking the worst tragedies and enabling us to survive and even be more than survivors. We can trust him with the lives of our loved ones. We can trust him with our own lives because he has made the provision for us, for life. We are promised that in all things God works for the good of all those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's in Romans 8.28. His life turns our significance turns our insignificance into significance. Jesus says that you have worth. You are not an accident. The greatest of difficulties will not conquer you. He gives us his resurrection, his resurrection power to handle whatever comes our way. Jesus is the life. And in conclusion, Jesus says in his own words, no one comes to the Father except through me. This Jesus is the one who has borne upon himself our brokenness, our sin, our guilt, and our alienation. This Jesus is the one through whose death and resurrection you and I are set free. We are restored to a right relationship with God, a right relationship with ourselves, and a right relationship with one another. This Jesus rose from the dead. We have a resurrection faith. The message of the church for 2,000 years was first declared by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Salvation is found. In no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of salvation. He gives us direct access to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for ministering to us today. May we all choose to follow Jesus. May we follow in the same way that the disciples did long, long ago. They heard the words of Jesus and believed them. They took his words and obeyed them. They confessed their sins to Jesus as their Lord and God. They believed that he died to take the punishment of their sins and rose from the dead to give them new life. They followed his example and his command to tell others the truth about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Embolden us, Father, to follow Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. May we be assured of following him all the way to heaven. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing this closing song. And this song kind of embodies what Pastor has just been talking about. And we sing that chorus, Oh, praise the name.